The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. And who therefore is never disillusioned. This meaning is unmistakable at several important places in the Bible. In the fifth chapter of the Romans, Paul writes about this Christian hope. He says in Romans 5.5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Some translations have it, hope does not disappoint. And this is the real meaning that we're after this morning. Another verse that requires this same translation is Isaiah 49.23, which is actually quoted twice in Romans. The portion of the verse I'm, I'm interested in this morning says, Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame or disappointed. And so as we begin to look at Paul's words and begin to reflect on everything that's coming here, we begin to understand that to not be disappointed, to not be ashamed, is a life that's waiting for Christ to do what he's planned to do. Because he has already made that plan. Have you ever thought of the ways God does not disappoint Christians? There are three verses in the Bible that I think more than others make this very clear to us this morning. All contain the word ashamed, and all teach that there is no shame for Christians. The first one has to do with the power of God. Romans 1:16. For I am not ashamed or disappointed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says that he has never been disappointed in the gospel. For whenever and wherever it is preached, the gospel of God is found and clearly in works. What is the gospel? Well, it is the message of God's grace revealed in Jesus Christ. And it centers itself on the death, burial, and resurrection. Paul summarizes all of this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So it's interesting that Paul speaks of the power of the gospel when writing to the church in Rome. Paul was entirely at home in three conflicting cultures. Jewish culture, Greek culture, and of course, Roman culture. And he preached the gospel to each of these diverse groups with tremendous power. Each had its particular difficulty in accepting the gospel. For example, the Jews came with centuries of religious tradition and training. They lived within a fixed system of rules and regulations which Christ did not fit. Hence, for the Jews, Jesus was a stumbling block. It was necessary for Paul to show them that Jesus, far from being a stumbling block, 
was actually God's foundation for the entire structure of revealed religion. The Greeks also did not pride themselves on their religious traditions. They were proud of their wisdom. Their pride was in such men as Homer, Plato, Aristotle. And Paul found it necessary to show that the cross of Christ actually was the wisdom of God. The wisdom exposes the foolishness of human understanding. And so Paul preached to them true wisdom. And then, of course, the Romans took pride in their power. The power of the Roman religions and had conquered the civilized world. And it was the strong arm of Rome that guaranteed Roman justice throughout the conquered dominions. Paul found it necessary to show that it was actually the power of God. The gospel possesses a power that does not disappoint the Christian. So the second verse then that we come to tells of a way in which God will not disappoint us. And it has to do with a sure deposit. 2 Timothy 1.12 Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me or what I have committed to him. The French translation has the idea of banking. God has the power to keep that which I have deposited in him. Unfortunately, men and women insist on placing their deposit with those who cannot guard it. The cult, cultic religions, the government, Dreams of human betterment. All these things to try to put my best foot forward to achieve what I want to achieve. And even Christians get sidetracked and think more highly of themselves and their ability to rise above. Only God is able to guarantee our deposit. Have you trusted in God through Jesus Christ? If so, think of the capital investment that have been placed in his deposit. You have placed your faith for salvation and the life to come. Can God keep that? Of course he can. We read in John 10, 27 through 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. What tremendous verses of security when we deposit our faith in Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you place your faith in Christ, you are secured for eternity. And it can't be lost. That is the great power of what Christ does in our lives. Now, you have also placed your faith in the fact that God can accomplish his purpose in you for this life. 
Can God keep that? Well, a verse we've referred to frequently is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you know how we've said so frequently that before the foundation of the world, when God knew our future, had chosen to love us, that he set forth a plan that we should walk. And that plan is secure. We have committed to him our faith so he can see us through temptations. Can God keep that? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Certainly, God is able to keep our capital assets. Certainly, in our salvation, God has sealed us to himself and provided all that we need. So, what is the problem? Why do we seem to struggle? Why do we seem, in various situations, just seem to struggle to read the scriptures and accept it's for me? Think of what marvelous dividends he pays on his investments. It's not only that we are secure for this life and for the future, but also that we partake so richly of God's present blessings, his love, his joy, his peace that passes all understanding, and a thousand other things beside. If you're struggling with your faith to trust, you might be doing business with the wrong bank. Think about Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Think of that. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ, in glory, in Christ Jesus. You know, I used to read that verse and think, well, we're just talking about spiritual things. But, but what about the money I need? What, what, what about the health I need? What about the relationship that I need? Well, can I say something? If you're a child of God, everything is spiritual. There's not one portion of your life that's not spiritual because you're owned by the Spirit of God. And when he promised to meet, to meet every need that you have, you can be certain that his plan will work through you. And the key to knowing this is that God is a hands-on God. He's not sitting in heaven somewhere saying, well, I'll see you when you get here. I paid the price, accept it, and we'll see it. No, 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 no. As I said maybe a week or two ago, the moment you accept Christ as Savior, your eternity has begun. And it's with Jesus Christ. And he has said to every one of us, I will supply every need 
Now, some of you are probably sitting there going, okay, I could write a whole list of needs I have right now, right? I'm not seeing them get met. Well, you're not on God's timetable, for one thing. And the other thing, as God works through those needs, he will be glorified, and his purpose will be accomplished. So we find that that important to get on his page. If you sat in any of my Sunday school classes over the last 30 years, you know that my favorite verse is, is Psalm 37.4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Remember that? What is that verse saying? Is it saying, well, if I just delight in God, I'm going to get that new Cadillac? Sometimes I wish that. No, what it says is the Hebrew definition of delighting is a complete surrender of yourself to God. That's delighting in God. That's turning everything over to God. And when you do that, God changes your heart to desire what he desires for you. And I'm here to tell you, those are prayers that will be answered 100% of the time. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And isn't it exciting to know that the very desires of your heart, the things that you want, the things that motivate you, the things that excite you, the things that give you such hope are exactly what he wants for you. What could be better? And that's offered to every one of us here this morning. The third verse that tells how God will not uh, disappoint us is in our text this morning. Christ is honored. Paul is on trial for his life. But only on the human level is he uncertain about the outcome. On the spiritual level, Paul knows that whatever happens will work to his salvation. He will not be ashamed. Look at verse 20. But that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. I mean, think of the scope of that statement. Wow. In the first place, Paul knew that Christ would be magnified. Paul lived an environment in which the pagan gods were being worshipped. And all power seemed to be in pagan Rome. But he knew that Christ would ultimately be exalted and would rule in great power until he had crushed his enemies beneath his feet. Consider Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, or 24 through 25. <clears throat> then comes the end. Then, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this was the basis of Paul's confidence. You know, when you tend to get upset with what you see going on in the world, when you want to get your back up and point people out and tell them how they're wrong, understand that God's in control. And everybody will come under his feet. We don't have to worry about those out there. What we need to do is show them the love of Christ. What we need to do is go out and let them see Christ in us, a compassionate, loving, forgiving God who forgave us. A compassionate, merciful God who, through all eternity and all the billions of people who have ever lived, chose us. And that same God wants to be radiated to everyone in the world. The compassion and the love that he has for them. Second, Paul knew that God's determination to exalt his son also extends to those who are united to him by faith. Now, get this next statement. Paul did not merely say that Christ would be magnified. He said Christ would be magnified in him. If you are a Christian this morning, do you know that God the Father is determined to exalt His Son in you? I mean, let that filter down in your thoughts. God the Father intends to exalt His Son, Jesus Christ, through your life. And this is what excited Paul. The fact that this wretched man who went about murdering Christians, who went about doing all he could to stamp out the church because it wasn't following Jewish law, was wonderfully, by grace, knocked off his donkey on the Damascus Road. And a bright light shone down. And he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that moment, Paul's life was radically changed. Now, if this wild, egotistical, selfish man knows that his life is going to exalt the Savior, do you think you're any different? God's plan is to exalt his Son through you. So the beauty for all of us is simply to let it go. God, I have this thing in my life right now and I'm struggling with it. But you've allowed it to be there. So I'm giving it to you so that you can be glorified in it. And you know what happens when people see you out in the street and families or wherever you are, wherever you are, they look at you and they go, that guy's Teflon. She's Teflon. All she does is exalt Christ. And look what she's going through. Do you realize the power that has the unsaved person? To know that there is that kind of life available? 
That's the draw. That's what God does in living through us. If you're a Christian, he intends to glorify his son through you. And this is part of what we saw a couple of weeks ago in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God saved you. He has an intended purpose. It will be glorified. Now, I admit, some of us go kicking and screaming until we understand what he's really doing. Because somehow in my messed up, sinful, depraved mind, I actually think I know what's best for me. I, 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 I really think I know what's best. I know what I don't want. But to realize that a loving, compassionate God who sent his son to die, and in the midst of death, the father literally turned his back on his son so all the sin of the world would be on him. You think for one minute he doesn't love you and want to be exalted in your life? It's guaranteed, folks. We just need to turn around and say, fine, you bought me, I'm yours, do what you want. And just watch what God does. This is one more thing in which the Christian will not be disappointed. You and me, with all our warts, with all our flaws, <clears throat> with all our messiness, he's going to be exalted in us. And third, Paul recognized that Christ would be magnified in him whether he lived or died. This means that Paul was so confident that God's will for him was perfect, that it was best possible thing for him, that he was able to accept it willingly, even if it meant death at the hands of cruel Roman executioner. You know, when, when life is smooth and easy, we find it very easy to say all things work together for good, don't we? But how about at the grave? How about when things aren't turning out the way you want? It's not so easy in the face of bitter disappointment or pain. You may not see it now. You may resist God. You may resist his will and drown yourself in pity and even legitimate sorrow. But the day is coming when you will see as it's going to be. The day is coming when you will stand before Christ and you will say, oh, I see it. Now I get it. And of course, this brings us to where we'll pick up next week in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When your hope is properly placed, there will be no disappointment. When your trust is properly placed, there is no fear. When your hope is in the person of Jesus Christ, 
there is a peace that passes all understanding. And God will use you beyond what you can even begin to fathom. He used wretched old Paul. He used all the disciples. He used the Old Testament saints. One sinner after another. I mean, think of David, an adulterer, murderer. Yet God said, here's a man after my own heart. God knows we're weak. He knows we'll be weak at this side of glory. But his love overpowers and sustains when you allow his love to work. What a great joy that we have before us this morning. And Father, we thank you for that great joy and privilege. We thank you, Lord, that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is no disappointment when our faith is properly placed. We certainly know what disappointment is. We know what fear is. We know what struggle is. And if we're honest with ourselves, we look back and realize that all of it has to do with our own misjudgment and misplaced values. And even at times when we're living right and trusting you and it comes into our lives like it did to Job, we can still know that there's a purpose behind it for which you are doing. And the reward and glory is waiting for all who trust you. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that you would move in our hearts to just give it to you and trust you. I pray, Lord, that if there are any here this morning who have never had a relationship with you, help them to realize that your love extends way beyond their ability and that you want that relationship. You gave your life to secure that relationship. And all they have to do is trust that it was for you and give themselves to you in repentance. And I also pray for Christians, Lord. It's so easy to get derailed, get off track, get caught up in the world trying to do things our own way. I pray, Lord, that this morning you would revive our hearts to a new reality. That the all things that work together for good are because you are working it according to your purpose and not ours. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for what you're going to do. In Christ's precious name, amen. God bless and have a great weekend.